Hello everyone, welcome back to yet another interview. On my end it's 5 a.m. but that is not going to stop me to interview one of my good friends and the guy that I just jinxed on winning a tournament, Monte Cristo. How are you doing, Monty? Well, uh, what's up, Casman? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, thank you very much for getting up at 5 a.m. to interview me. And thank you very much for giving me the caster blessing and letting me take the dub in that tournament. It, Big win coming out was good for the confidence. It even works when I'm not casting it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I am glad it worked out. But now that you're here for the first time, you, people get to know a little bit about yourself. So who are you in real life when you're not playing LR? So when I'm not playing LOR, I am an insurance broker, which is a really, really boring day job. But I also stream, uh, which Casman knows, and I'm sure some of you guys know, because I'm sure some of you guys are tuning in from my channels. Um, but yeah, I stream four nights a week, and then I go to the office day in, day out, do my thing there. But yeah, streaming is really where it's at for me. It's really what I want to be doing. So we're working towards that goal. Uh, and what's your background in terms of card games? Where did you come from before playing a lot? So let me actually, let me take a peek. Maybe I have something in one of these drawers, something spicy to show off. Oh, no, I must have placed it elsewhere. So the first uh, real card game I played was technically Yu-Gi-Oh! Because everybody played Yu-Gi-Oh! in the schoolyard as a kid. Everybody had some random pack of Yu-Gi-Oh! cards lying around. Nobody really knew how to play properly. Um, Played some Pokemon TCG in the schoolyard as well. Again, nobody knew how to play properly. But my first real foray into card games, competitively, not competitively, whatever you want to call it, my first serious attempt at learning how to play a card game was Hearthstone. I started in the early beta. I didn't actually make it to Legend until the year I quit. I never actually tried super hard to get there. Um, But I quit back in 2018 after the Blitzchung and the Hong Kong stuff. Blizzard left a really nasty taste in my mouth. Lore had just started, so I switched over pretty quickly. I also played a little bit of Chaotic. That's a physical card game I had uh, cards for. So, But other than that, Lore's really been... I think I've spent more time on Lore than almost any other card game at this point. And so it's my number one. In Hearthstone, did you get to play competitively or join any tournament, at least for fun or pure ladder play? I played a couple of tournaments here and there. Um, not too much. Just dip my foot in. It's hard to get into competitive card gaming when you don't really know where to start. And I was only I only managed to get in in Runeterra because I got really lucky and found lots of great resources all from all the other players in this uh, community that are so willing to share their knowledge. Yeah, that sounds definitely cool. And what made you pick up LOR? What's the reason behind Well, I was done with Hearthstone, and I wanted a new card game. I've always been very much a strategy and, like, more of a mental game player than I have been a, like, I played MOBAs, I played other stuff. Obviously, I played League, played League since beta as well. So, when League said they were coming out with a Hearth, uh, card game and Hearthstone had the Blitz Chung Hong Kong stuff going on, it was a pretty, pretty much a no-brainer, easy switch. Yeah, definitely makes sense. But the single deck showdown, how did you get, how did you guys get the idea of making a single deck event? So Mo put out a twit longer, which I'm sure some of you saw because everybody follows Mo. If you don't follow Mo, it's a great Twitter account to follow. Um, 
But he put out a tweet longer talking about how he likes sideboard format and how it's people are wrong. The lore community is wrong in saying that its lore is not meant for single deck sideboard formats and how we should really give the format another chance. I never played in a sideboard tournament. I am a relatively small streamer, so I just shot Mo. I, Mo and I chat sometimes. We're, we're pals, I would say. So I shot, I responded to that tweet saying, I never got to try out sideboard. I'd like to. Why don't we do a little streamer showdown? And then Mo jumped on it. He immediately got got into my Twitter DMs. and was like, yeah, I'm in. And then Squeeby messaged me about it. And Squeeby started organizing the back end. Then Mo messaged BBG and Seth and Deej. And it just kind of blew up. And it was like snap of the fingers and it appeared. Big shout outs to everybody who played a part in coming out to play or do any of the back end stuff. It was a great success, I think. Um, we ended up getting Jay Doza and Boulevard to cast it, as well as Divinity of Phil, I think, cast it in Portuguese. So for an event that started as a subtweet, it really ended up being something special. And I hope we get to do more of these because it was a really good time. And I think it was a good show for the community as well. Definitely. Maybe Caspin can cast the next one for us. Please take me in. I'm casting at any hour, at any time of the day, and any day. But enough about that. Uh, how did you guys settle on the format? Like the eight people and then double limb? Was that something that you all agreed? Or was that something that you came up with by talking and talking? So um, when Mo and I first sat down and like started talking about it, we were like, let's just keep it small. Uh, don't want it to be anything too big. So we ended up decide we had four people right off the bat that were interested in playing and then mo was like why don't we get a brazilian player in here or two um if we can and then we'll ask bbg so then we had six and six is kind of a rough number to have as like a uh, a bracket so we just ended up going to eight make it even rounded out um and then we d ended up deciding on the rules just all together somebody i think mo again was the one that suggested 10 card sideboard and bbg said doubly limb no bracket reset he does not like bracket resets um i did offer to let him play the bracket reset at the end anyways if he changed his mind he said no uh he hates them so that's okay i'm i'm okay with that i'm not sure i would have been able to take it in a bracket reset so yeah uh, and how did you feel about the first experience with the single deck format or what did you expect with from the single deck format plus the sideboard I didn't really know what to expect, because like I said, I've never played in a tournament like this before. Um, I kind of figured that each matchup would be a little bit different, and then game one, game two, and game three would be different because everybody's making micro-adjustments to their lists, and they're gonna only going to get better at making those adjustments and improvements to their list as the games go on. Especially when you have to play the same person twice, like I did when I played BBG in the winner's finals, and then again in the grand finals. Um, by game two of the, well, I would say by game three of the winner's files, BBG had almost certainly figured out what his sideboards needed to be for my deck list. It took me a little bit longer. I didn't end up figuring out what the perfect sideboard for that matchup was until literally the last game. Um, but it was very interesting having to th make, think about those decisions and come up with what are the best 40 cards in this particular matchup. And then after the first game, what? What are the best 40 cards in this matchup after I take into account what he's going to put into his deck? How does that change things? What do I actually want? Um, 
yeah, there was a lot of thought that went in, into it. It was very cool. And I think one of the most important questions, at least for the people watching, is were you allowed to sideboard first when you saw your opponent or after you played the round? So we had to play the first game without sideboarding. And then after the first game, we were allowed to sideboard. And after the second game, we were allowed to sideboard again if we wanted. All right. Speaking of the text and of the sideboard, let's jump straight into it. it Let's see what the count has brought to this tournament. Uh, it did not bring, let's say, something very special, very unique, but something that is very consistent. Azir Aurelia, all demons are coming back to haunt us. Please know uh, it won a tournament after all, and that's what this deck does. So my first question would be, because it was a sideboard event, why did you settle up? for this core of cards when you are going to face other opponents for the first time. So one thing you'll notice about this list right now is that there's no Green Glade Duo. Uh, and that's because Green Glade Duo is technically a sideboard card. It's not great in every matchup. You really don't even want it in a lot of your matchups. I know Darkodius, the Aurelius your master, the gentleman who gave me the deck, who brought gave me the keys to success, has said that he would not play Green Glade Duo if he didn't have to. He's only got it in his ladder list because he ha feels it's necessary for some matchups. Um, it was actually his idea to give me to tell me to just remove him completely and put him in the sideboard. And that was like a very last minute thing. God bless. <laughs> he got it in in time because that came up huge. The extra twin disciplines and the shape stone. Um, so I ended up putting in extra twin disciplines, a shape stone, and the Nopify is what I made room for, or the third treasure secret, depending on how you want to look at it and what the ladder list currently is. Um, and I think that decision carried me a lot because I really didn't need the Green Glade duo in any of the early matches. And it was, I did make mistakes in my sideboarding and accidentally put it in into some matchups that I probably shouldn't have, but didn't end up getting punished for it. But I think you were one of the apostles of Defiant Dance. I think you were one of the people on Twitter saying, this card is broken, you are sleeping on this card. Why, why are we seeing it here? Or what's the purpose or the reason that it, it's broken? <laughs> so Defiant Dance is just the ultimate slow speed punish. When you have a Deus and a Zir, or even, like, honestly, even just an Aurelia down, just so you can get the one extra Blade Dance, you're almost always going to get tempo down from Defiant Dance, and you're almost always going to push damage, too. Um, some common ladder matchups that you might see right now is Swain TF. It's, uh, there's still a little bit of Gnosis Thresh out there, and Lurk. You can Defiant Dance the Swain when it comes down, and then suddenly they've got nothing to do. You can Defiant Dance a GP in a Pirates matchup, and they've just lost 5 mana, and you're pushing damage. It's just, it's just a really, really, really good card. Um... The other thing you'll notice is that we have Homecomings over Wills, and people were saying, oh, with Will going back to four mana, why don't we just play Will? Well, Defiant Dance kind of covers almost everything Will wants to do, and the dual-sided effect of Homecoming is actually really, really useful in this list, especially with the Spicy Field Musicians tech, which came up huge in some of the games. If you go back and watch through that VOD, you'll see just how great the Field Musicians can be. Yeah, what was the reason actually for including Field Musicians? Because it's one of the sweet new decks in the deck. So, with the deck being forced to slow down, there's just room for it now. And you kind of need something to bridge you from that mid-game into the late-game. If you've played Aurelia Azir, you know that the deck kind of peters out and it goes into top deck mode very, very early on. 
if you top deck a field musician, suddenly Blossoming Blade, tra uh, Blossoming Blade, Dune Keeper, Ribbon Dancer, and even yeah, Blossoming Blade, Dune Keeper, Ribbon Dancer, and uh, tr even Treasure Seeker, all them all become activated and start drawing you cards and giving you spell mana, and it's just gonna let you cycle through your deck a lot faster. And it's going to let you do Irelia-Zier things a lot more aggressively. Just let you do Azir Irelia things, but you, you spoke uh, about Treasure Seeker. This is a new card, so maybe you would like to elaborate on the inclusion of the new card in, in the deck. So Treasure Seeker is a very, very versatile card in this deck. It's a very, very powerful card overall. Turns out Waking Sands is really, really good when you don't have to actually put that in your deck. Um, but you can use this offensively. To, oftentimes the Waking Sands is going to be 2 damage, two mana 5 damage, which, I mean, hey, who doesn't love a stronger Decimate? Or you can also use it on defense, and just casting the Waking Sands will often just stop their attack dead, dead out. Because, well, who's going to attack into a 5-2? You're just going to lose a minion for free. So it's a versatile card that does a lot of the different things that this deck wants to do. And it almost always trades up because 5-2 is a lot of stats. Yeah, definitely makes a lot of sense. And I've seen it in the European League games that we've been casting. That is both an offensive and defensive tool that is working out really well. But let's go over to the actual sideboard that you decided to bring in mm -hmm. this tournament. And you said Green Glade Duo is a sideboard kind of card. Why? So you're not usually going to win the game through Green Glade Duo's elusive pressure damage, right? Most games you're going to win by slowly chipping away at their board, continually making tokens. Azir's going to come down leveled up. You're going to get the plus one plus one buff on everything. Suddenly your board is too wide. They can't block everything. Aurelia comes in. You guys know how it is. Green Glade Duo is there for when they have methods of dealing with that wide board or they're going to have units that can continuously block in your early game and you just really need to shove damage aggressively and quickly most matchups that i was kind of expecting were going to be more mid-rangey to slower um and the elusive is like not as good as it was so it just didn't make sense to put it into the main deck because it was a slot that i could have used on buffs which is what I ended up using the slot for. I put in the third Twin Disciplines, the third Shapestone, and either the third Treasure Seeker or the third Nopified, depending on what your ladder list looks like. Um, yeah, and I think just freeing up that slot for the buffs, is it, it helped a lot. It just gave the deck a lot more react reactivity and uh, let, let you stick your champions and keep your champions safe a lot better, which is really what the deck wants to be doing. Yeah, because your champions are infinite amounts of value with Azir every time you attack. And it's, I don't think it's that hard to level him up anymore. Maybe I'm going to ask you about that uh, a little bit later. But the way I'm seeing this, or you could say if I'm wrong or if I'm right, your sideboard is little packages for different matchups. You don't really just put one card for this, one card for that. More like I put a few cards of this for this matchup. A few cards for that. So, which are which packages did you bring for certain matchups? 
So I actually ended up bringing every single card in the sideboard at one point um, or another. The Greenglade duos I ended up teching in against Mo, uh, who was on scouts, because I figured I would have to race him. I don't know if that was the correct decision at the end of the day, but it's the decision I made. And I ended up winning that set, even though I hard punted game two. Mo hard punted game three right back. Mo was just trying to do your boy a favor and give him a dub. It's okay. <laughs> he he was looking out for the crew. Um, so the Greenglade duos ended up going in. That's more of an aggressive tech. The Ghost went in with the Greenglade duos. The Ruthless Predator also went in against Mo because I figured the added vulnerable effect would be good for removing his MF. It didn't end up coming up. But that was a really spicy tech. The Ruthless Predator was also there for a mirror. Deny was there um, for any slower matchup where I'd want to deal with something like that. I didn't end up putting it in against BBG because I felt the Nopifies and the Retreats were better. I also added the Ghost in that matchup because I wanted uh, the ability to kill him with a big elusive Azir if that ever came up. And I ended up putting in the extra field musicians for the BBG matchup as well, because I knew it was going to be a more long drawn out game and I wanted to see more of my deck. The other kind of package, I guess I had, um, yeah, it was really a matter of adding the denies and the retreats to kind of help you stabilize a little bit more and the field musicians to help you take the game longer. And then adding the green glade duos and the ghosts to help you close out the game a little bit earlier. So those are kind of the two sides of my sideboard, if you'll excuse the <laughs> double double word. Yeah, definitely. And if I remember correctly, against BBG, BBG was on Echo Zillion, right? Yes, he was, which is actually a rather tough matchup for the deck. Um, the drop borders kind of come up huge, and the Hexite Crystals can be really, really hard to deal with. And then if you do end up getting to the point where your Azir and your Aurelia are leveled up, and they have gotten a leveled Echo on the board, they can just trade down their board, get the free Predict off of the leveled up Echo, and then hit the Rally and revive their entire board and kill you. It's really not as easy as you'd think it would be, um, especially not against a phenomenal player like BBG. Yeah, and I think you you were, you were losing to him in the main bracket, right? And you were coming back to take it back home uh, in, the, in the Grand Finals, so... What did you learn from, from the first games against BBG and against his deck? So I learned that I needed to protect my champions a little bit more. Um, I think... Set 1, game 2, I ended up throwing because I didn't protect my Azir properly. I had an option to protect an Azir or go for a more aggressive line, and I took the more aggressive line and got punished for it. And... Had I just played it a little bit more passively and played around my Azir more, I think I would have ended up getting there. I also learned, even from Game 2 to Game 3 in the Grand Finals, I ended up making different sideboard choices. I completely pulled out all of the Homecomings and everything. There was no Homecomings and no Defiant Dances in my end deck. Um, they, I just found that at the by the time I ended up using them, he always had mana to replay what, I, what he was going to what I bounced, so there was no point in having the bounce at all. And he was sideboarding stuff like Ruin Runners, which you can't bounce. So I ended up putting in, yeah, removing all the bounces to add retreat returns to better protect my Azir and Ghost to try and cheese out a victory with that method. 
and it paid off because you won against him. But I did. If you had to tell people about a few challenges, because I think you are the best experiment, if I can call you, that we can get most information on the sideboard uh, type of game, because you did not play in it, you ended up winning it, so if there were any challenges for you getting into this sideboard event, or which were the challenges that you faced? So I think deck selection is a little bit restrictive in sideboards, because you want a deck with a very linear game plan that can be adjusted to speed up or slow down its linear game plan, which is, as if as you guys saw with my sideboard, is exactly what I did. I put in cards that would let me play a little bit longer, and I put in cards that would force me into playing quicker. Um, so a lot of LOR decks are not quite so linear. Like, let's look at TFIS, for example. A Blast from the Past, a deck I've put a lot of time on, a deck I've had a lot of fun with. That's not a linear deck. That car that deck's cards are pretty much 40 for 40 set in stone. You can't really you don't really have a lot of room to maneuver with that. So the deck selection is a little bit limited with sideboard, and I can I could felt I felt that a bit when I was looking at what should I bring. I ended up bringing Aurelia Azir because it's what I'd played on ladder for my 22 hour stream on day two of the expansion and it was literally what i've been most practiced on um was i a bit of a jerk bringing aurelia azir to a four fun tournament yeah perhaps perhaps but you know i mean we're going up the g against the best of the best here so you got to bring your all right yeah definitely and you said that there are some decks that are very restrictive they they have a core set in stone and there are decks that you can juggle with the cards a bit, so what would you bring in the future to a side, the, the sideboard event? Something that already has a strong core, or something that gives you more space for maneuver, but it's not that strong? So, I think you can kind of go either way. Um, Irelia Zir is his example of a deck that has a very strong 36 card core, 30 card core, depending on how firm you want to be. Um, Nasa's Thresh, another deck that has a very strong 30-card core that you can kind of maneuver with and push slower, faster. Um, but then you also have stuff like Demasi Allegiance and or Bilgewater Allegiance. Um, I very heavily considered Bilgewater Allegiance, which would be the same 37 cards, and then your sideboard would just be stuff like Hush, uh, Will, Concussive Palm, stuff like that. Something from every region that would give you a different opportunity into a different matchup. Um, what I think I would recommend, I think I would recommend going more so with a deck like Aurelia Azir or Nasus Thresh, which has a solid base, but is flexible in the way you can build it and you can play it. Um, so, yeah. I think Draven Ez is probably also a relatively okay choice for a sideboard, especially now that we're getting more cards that can potentially go into that archetype, like Timewinder and uh, Boom Baboon. So, I think flexible decks with a straightforward game plan are best. Um, I know Dravenez kind of has a not-so-straightforward game plan, and it kind of contradicts what I've just said, but, um, yeah. Decks that have interesting tech choices are probably the best thing to bring to a sideboard. Yeah, definitely. But you said you played the deck for 22 hours on stream, and I need to ask you if the comfort factor played a role in your win or in your games absolutely absolutely um 
anytime people ask me about lineups, especially when they're when they come to my stream and they're like, "Hey, I'm just starting to get into tournaments. I don't know what to play. How do I build a lineup?" Or I'm going into seasonal for the first time. I qualified through Gauntlet. What do I play? I just tell them pick the three decks you're most comfortable on, because at the end of the day, it doesn't. If you're not an experienced tournament player and you're not a hundred percent on well, this is what my lineup wants to do. These are my decks. Their weaknesses are X, Y, Z. Their strengths are A, B, C. I'm gonna, therefore, I'm gonna ban EFG. Um, without that knowledge, the only thing you have to rely on is your comfort and your knowledge of your own deck and how it operates. So the best thing to do with any tournament is, especially one where you're uncertain of, like I was uncertain of how this sideboard tournament was going to work out, is to just bring your best, your most comfortable deck. Um, that is going to take you the furthest. It's going to give you the best results, in my opinion. Yeah, I do agree. But after you've played this event, do you think that are there any strong points? Are there any points that you could work on on such an event? Yeah, so I think I really liked the thought that I had to put into my deck selection and my deck, my side, both my sideboard and my 40 card deck, because as we talked about already, my 40 card deck was not your standard ladder list. Um, and while tournament lists aren't always your standard ladder lists, they're usually pretty close, maybe a one or two card difference. Taking Greenglade a duo out of Aurelia Zero is not something I think most people watching would expect, or it's not something they would think of doing. It's not something I thought of doing. All credits for that go to Darkodius. Um, honestly, all credits for my dub go to Darkodius, because the man did me a solid and took care of me. Talk, we talked about everything. He really, he, really put in, he really put in the work for me on this one. Um, but yeah. Mm, you, you keep mentioning Darkodius, so I need to ask you if you had... This is a question that we ask all the people. If you if you had anyone helping you out besides Darkodius, or maybe even Screaming? Yeah, I had all of the Wobbly Wombats chiming in their opinions. So Z-Turtle, Seku, uh, Milk, Spikes, uh, Cheezer Dude, True Monarch is in our chat as well. Who else do we got? We have Yang and Anzini and RxBXN, who's playing Hearthstone, and Manasia, of course, who is another Aurelia Zier, excellent Aurelia Zier player. All of them weighed in, gave their opinions, helped me out with the list. It was very, very, I'm very, very lucky to have great teammates that were there. Um, we didn't scrim too much for it because I had played the deck for 22 hours straight the day before, so I was feeling kind of okay into any matchup. Um, and we also didn't really know what to expect in our to scrim. But yeah, they all chimed in with the deck selection. Manasia is the one who convinced me to bring the Ruthless Predator, and I really liked that sideboard bring. I don't know if I actually got to play it. I think I did. I think I drew it in one game. But that was that was a really spicy tech. He was like, yeah, I got wrecked by this on ladder one time in the mirror. I think you should bring it. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. You know what? Sounds fantastic. And I heard through the rumor reel that Mo was bringing scouts. So I figured that'll do well into scouts too, because it'll let me deal with the MF. Yeah, and it turned out quite all right. Um, 
But we are nearing the end of the interview and there's another traditional question that we used to ask people and that is if you if you could say only one thing to the audience before we're closing this interview, which one would that be? I love you all. Thank you very much and have a wonderful night. <laughs> that is being spoken like a true champion. Thank you again, Monty, for being around and thank you guys for watching this. Stay tuned because the interview series is not going to stop as long as we're going to have tournaments, grassroots tournaments or big tournaments. Until next time. <laughs>